being ignored, do they? I'm, I'm, I haven't heard that many people that go, I love that. I just love it when I'm being ignored. I mean, all of us like to think that people are taking notice of us. All of us like to think that we can make some sort of a difference. And it's great when people love us. It's survivable when people hate us. But it feels really awful when people ignore us. Do you ever feel like no one ever really takes notice of you? It's a horrible feeling. So I got to thinking, I wonder who are the most ignored people on this planet? And I've got a top three for you. First one is flight attendants. Really? I mean, like, it's your experience is what it is mine, isn't it? You know, the, the beautifully uniformed staff members who stand up the front of the aircraft, right? you know, and, and on the, uh, they give you the, the safety demonstration. Well, if you've flown once, here's a tip for you. It doesn't really change. And having just flown a few times recently, uh, have you ever noticed what happens during this safety demonstration? Well, most people have got their own headphones in and are either listening to something already or watching something and don't pay attention at all. At least back in the day when you, the only entertainment was in the plane system, it would cut in to whatever you're doing and override it. But not, not anymore. They uh, go around looking out the window, sipping on drinks, if they might have them, reading a book or a newspaper or whatever, the scrolling on their phone. Um, and for me, it, I, I often do all of that if I can, but also make sure the sick bags are, you know, <laughs> readily accessible in front of me. Um, but, but no one's listening to the flight attendants. We've all seen it before. We've all heard it before. And we're probably one of those people that also doesn't really pay much attention and ignores the flight attendants. The second of my top three is parents of teenage or teenage girls. And maybe boys too, but um, I'm not speaking from experience here at all. Uh, but have you ever given instructions to a child and had them completely ignore you like you don't even exist? No, no, me neither. You know, it can be one of the most frustrating things in the world to give instruction to a child of yours and have them completely ignore you, even if the instruction's for their benefit and good. And then there are screen zombies. I'm not sure most parents of generation above mine, you wouldn't have come across these unless it's your grandkids, but it's screen zombies. Kids are sometimes glued so much to what they're looking at on a screen that they become oblivious to anything else around them. You might have to say the name five times, getting louder and louder and louder until they finally respond because you've yelled their name. And they say, what are you yelling my name for? Because they only heard it when you yelled it. They didn't hear the other four times. Wives, you might even want to throw your husband under the bus here. You might sneak into that category too. Ask for something to be done. And the answer comes back, yes, dear, I'll get to it. You don't need to keep reminding me about it every six months. And the third of my top three are probably teenagers and kids in shops. I remember when I was young going to the shops and to go and buy something, whatever, you go up to the counter and you just wait there like all the other people waiting there. And so there's a the couple of adults in front of you, they get served, and then the couple of adults behind you get served and you're still waiting. 
Uh, it feels horrible being ignored like that. It's like, is my money no good? Like, uh, it has the same value as anybody else's money. Uh, that, that's, that's probably my, my top three. And I'm sure you can probably think of other ones too, but don't you hate it when you're ignored like that? You're trying to have your say and no one listens. You ask someone to do something and they just don't do it. People walk past you like you don't even exist. You see, we all want to make a difference. We all want to have an impact on the people we meet. At the end of our lives, I'm sure that all of us would like to look back and think that we had contributed something significant to the running of this planet. See, Jesus wants his disciples to make a difference. Jesus wants his followers to have an impact. He doesn't want you to spend all your days following an insignificant belief and drifting invisibly through a world that never even notices you. When you're living as a genuine disciple, Jesus wants you to have a genuine impact. And this has got nothing to do with your personality. So you can have an outgoing, vibrant, bubbly, strong personality, or you can be quiet, shy, or of an individual sort of person. So it's not your personality that will make an impact on this world, it's your lifestyle. Remember the lifestyle that Jesus had, had already outlined? If you're here with us last week, we went through that. From, from, the, from the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, the poor in spirit, Jesus paints this picture of success. And he says, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Jesus says, when you live like that, you will have an impact on your world. He now goes on in Matthew 5 to spell out the difference he wants you to make to the people around you. So get your Bibles out. We're continuing on with Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to begin at verse 13. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. If you think about it, it's probably no surprise that Jesus compares the impact he wants you to make with the impact that salt makes. Because whatever else you say about it, it always makes a difference to what you put it on. So what sort of difference does salt make? Well, first of all, it adds flavour. Whatever you put salt on, it makes a difference. Would you ever eat hot chips without salt? Oh, I reckon they're, they're horrible when you get them and there's no salt. Uh, oh, and chicken salt. There, now we're talking for the hot chips. And, you know, it's almost un-Australian not to have salt on your chips or your baked potatoes or peanuts or cashews. You know, when you sprinkle salt on any food, you can instantly taste the difference. If you've ever been on a camp and had a mischievous friend sprinkle salt on your ice cream, then you know it has immediate impact. Or have you ever baked a cake and mistaken the salt for sugar? Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a nasty cake. But it, they fluff up so nice, it's amazing. They last forever. 
Um, I'm coming to that soon, actually. Um, number two, it makes you thirsty. Have you ever been to well, your, your favourite burger restaurant where the person serves you, puts way too much salt on your fries? Like, you know, it can be a little bit like overpowering sometimes, but the one thing you want to do after that is drink lots and lots of water. Salt makes you thirsty. I mean, why do you think at bars they always have the, snots, the salty snacks to give away or for you to buy? That's all that's available. It's because you know, they, they know that the salt will make you thirsty and you end up buying more drinks. Number three is that it's a preservative. You might never have thought about this, but one, one way that food has, has been used, salt has been used to make food last longer for a long time. See, way back in the day, pretty much any time before 1930s, when refrigeration sort of came to the fore, back before, you know, right back to when Noah was a boy, people would salt their meat to make it last longer. When the Europeans went off exploring the world in the 1700s in those big tall sailing ships, they would keep their meat sprinkled heavily with salt in barrels and that way it would last for months. That's where we get meats like corned beef from. It's basically just salted beef. But really its power lies in its difference. No matter what reason you use salt, here's where the power lies. The basic power of salt is that it has an instant impact on anything it contacts. Its basic power is that it is essentially different from whatever you put it on. If it wasn't different, it wouldn't make an impact. If it wasn't different, it would be no use using it. And that's exactly what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. What's the use of putting salt on your chips if the salt tastes exactly the same as your chips? And what's the use of salt if it's lost its saltiness? What can you do with it? Add more salt? Like, it's useless. Might as well throw it out. In the same way, your life is meant to have an impact on those around you by being essentially different from everyone else. You have been called to live out the values of God's kingdom. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit and all that. God wants to use you to change the lives of those around you. But do you know, uh, sorry, but to do that, you need to be different from them. And there's two reasons why Christians can end up being very ineffective in this world. The first is that they stay together in their Christian huddle and never get out amongst the people who desperately need them. That's number one. Number two is that they get out amongst other people but are essentially the same as them and therefore have no impact. Think about this. You are being called to make a difference by being different. You have a whole new set of values that reflect the very heart of Jesus. Is it possible that you are, however, starting to lose your saltiness? Is it possible that in your attempt to be just the same as everyone else so that you can fit in, that you've lost your power to have a life-changing 
impact on those around you. See, this world needs your salt. You're meant to add flavour to what everyone else does. You have the ability to give purpose and depth to so many people around you who are purposeless and shallow. This world needs your salt. As you make your stand for Jesus, you can cause other people to be thirsty, thirsty for the lasting satisfaction that only Jesus can provide. In fact, the way you live your life can provoke other people to ask questions as they try to satisfy their deep inner thirst. This world needs your salt. You don't have to be a spiritual flight attendant or a parent of a teenager who has zero impact. If you are a disciple, then Jesus calls you the salt of the earth. He wants you to go and make a difference. He has designed you to make a difference. He has filled you with his spirit so that you have the ability to make a difference. Do you know the most powerful weapon that you have? Do you know what will help your friends to see that Jesus can make a difference in their life? It's when they see that Jesus has been powerful enough to change your life. So today, whose life does he want you to go and make a difference in? Someone at home, someone at school, someone at work, a neighbour, one of your kids or grandkids. So Jesus wants you to be salt where he has placed you because the world needs your salt. It also really needs your light. You've ever been in a situation that has absolutely no light. Like it's it's a dark night. All the electricity in your entire neighbourhood goes out. No TV, no computer, no lights, nothing. You might have to think back a few years because there's a few more devices that have their own lights these days. Um, it, it's pitch black inside your house. It's often in those situations that there's someone stumbling around, you know, trying to go to the garage to find a torch or, or in the pantry somewhere to find that, that torch that the batteries are probably flat by now anyway in... Um, or if you, you know, scrunch around to try and find that candle, and then oh, where are the matches? Like, you know, it's it's always the hardest thing those 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 times. And of course, you know, you can't see really well because it's so dark. And you trip over things, and if you've got pets, well, you're probably going to trip over them, you know, as well, or or your children. Um, you know, and it seems that everyone gets irritated when the, when the lights go out and, and you don't know how long it's going to last. At least now most of us have phones that have their own torch on it and so there's less of an issue now. We're a little bit better off. But have you ever been in that situation where you've had, you know, it's been a blackout night and there's absolutely no light? It's irritating, it's annoying and maybe even a little bit scary. No work gets done, no food gets cooked. No one knows what to do. How bad is it when the power goes off just as you're about to put something in the oven for tea? Like, that's terrible timing. You know, I remember this happening to us not long after we moved here to Wangaratta. We were in the rental house, and um, it was about 8.30 at night, and it was winter, and the, the power went off. And so it was like, well, all right, what do we do? Uh, so we just went to bed because it was cold, and, and the heater wasn't working either. So it was like freezing house, 
8.30 anyway, kids off to bed, and we just jumped into bed ourselves. And the power came on about 9.30, and some of us may have got up again. Um, going to turn the heater back on. Uh, but, you know, that, that's pretty much what we did. I remember that it was really, really weird. Now imagine, though, that the whole world went pitch black. For some reason, there was no more moon or stars at night. For some reason, the sun never rose each morning. There was no electricity, no battery power, no fire. The whole world was pitch black. No one could see a thing. Imagine that for a moment. It sounds like a description of the end of the world, doesn't it? Uh, Certainly, if that happened, the human race would not survive for very long. Now, imagine you had, in that dark world, you had a match and a candle. Suddenly, there was one light in this darkened world. Maybe not a very strong light, but at least it's a light. Do you think anyone would notice? Do you think anyone would be paying attention to you? Do you think anyone would be helped by your light? Darkness. You know, that's a picture of what our world is like spiritually. A world of blindness and darkness where people stumble about trying to make sense of the whole thing. And into this darkened world, Jesus has placed his disciples to be light to everyone around them. Imagine the difference that each one of us as disciples of Jesus can make. This is how Jesus describes you in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14. He says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say I am. He says you are. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, disciples are, disciples are being described as being like light. So I reckon it's a pretty good idea to check out what light really does. So first of all, light helps you see things clearly. Who here's been on a blind date? Oh, Judy, happy days. We have a brave soul in the house today. That's lovely. Um, I w- I've never been on a blind date, uh, but I- you know it's an interesting concept where you arrange to meet someone and you don't know who they are or what they look like until you meet them. I mean, I've had similar experiences, but on a very different level. When you m- go to meet someone to arrange a funeral that you've never met before and you meet at a cafe, you've never seen them before, but yet somehow you seem to connect still and you find that they're the right people and you're, you know, yeah, I've always found that weird. Let's meet somewhere, okay. I don't know what you look like, you don't know what I look like, but we'll work it out at at the time. I guess that's what being blind means though, is that you can't see anyone. You you, you certainly don't know what's going on. If someone's standing in the darkness, you've no idea what they're like. But as soon as they step into the light... Well, that's what light does. It enables you to see things clearly. I mean, try playing sport at night when there's no floodlights on the ground. You won't be able to see a thing. Light also guides the way ahead. As well as helping you see things clearly, light also guides you on your way ahead. Imagine driving as a family on an outback road at night when the moon isn't shining or reflecting, and suddenly the headlights go out in your car. Apart from the screaming, you can't drive like that. 
All the lights might be on in the car, but if you can't see the way ahead, you can't go ahead. Light also makes you feel safe. What's the difference between going for a walk in a lonely place during the day and going for a walk in that same lonely place at night? I know there are parts of our city where I wouldn't, wanna, wouldn't be game to walk at night. I feel far safer when I'm walking in an area that has good street lights. But the explanation is very simple. Light provides security. Light also warns you of danger. You're walking along the road and suddenly you see a whole string of vehicles passing with bright flashing lights, police cars, ambulances, fire trucks. The flashing lights warn you that something's wrong. So let me show you, though, why light is so powerful, is that it always overcomes darkness. That's the essential power of light. It always, always, always overcomes darkness. See, darkness and light do not meet each other as equals. Light always wins. Here's an experiment for us, which we're going to have to use our imagination for. So I want you to, in your minds, picture two rooms... They are connected together by a single door. There's no other windows, lights or anything. These are just two rooms, completely self-contained, built rooms, and all that's between them is a door between the two. Now, one of these rooms is completely pitch black because there's no way for light to get into this room, none at all. And the other room, we're going to put a single light. So you got it, you've got a dark room, door closed, light room. Okay, oh, nodding, you're with me? Yep, okay, good. Now open the door. What happens? Does the darkness come flooding into the lighted room and make it less light? No way. The lighted room does not lose any of its light by having the doorway to the darkened room opened. What happens in the darkened room? Well, as soon as you open the door, light comes flooding in. Even if the lighted room only had a candle in it. So can you see that some of the light from that, even that one little candle would penetrate the darkness and start to overcome it? Can you see that when Jesus describes you as the light of the world, he is saying something very powerful about you. Because if you are light, and you are, then that means you will always overcome darkness. What? My little light? Yes, yes, your little light. Even one small candle will always overpower darkness. Light always overcomes darkness. That's the essential power of light. So no matter how dark things are around you, no matter what sort of deeds of darkness everyone else is getting involved in, no matter how strong and powerful this world sometimes looks as it heads further and further away from Jesus, God has placed you there to be his light in our darkened world. Maybe you're shining brilliantly. Or maybe some of the stuff you're doing has maybe clouded a little bit. But if you're a disciple, Christ's light is shining through you. So here's a question for you. Where are you shining your light? 
See, that's the key question. Where are you shining your light? Look back at what Jesus says again in Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus' words make sense. Imagine you have a super powerful searchlight able to illuminate the whole countryside, but instead of putting it up on a hill where it can help the whole township, Instead of mounting it on a high stand to give it maximum penetration, you turn it on and hide it under a bucket. Well, that would be crazy. I mean, we have underground power lines, we have underground phone cables, but imagine how stupid would it be if we had underground streetlights. Or imagine we've got to install a new lighthouse to protect boats from being dashed on the rocks. Well, it would be pretty stupid to put that in a coal mine. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. What's going to be the result if you turn on the brightest light and then hide it under a bucket? Well, two results come to mind. First is that there'll be lots of light inside the bucket where it's not needed. And second, there'll be no light at all getting out where it is needed. So Jesus is telling us something powerful here about how to be his disciple. He's not questioning how much light you have. He's not inquiring whether it's always as bright as it could be. He's certainly not questioning whether you have more light or less light than the person next to you. But here is what he's definitely questioning. Where are you shining it? This is always a danger for Christians. We get together with other Christians. So far, so good. We enjoy close community and awesome worship together. We receive excellent Bible teaching and and join in great prayer times together and wonderful small groups. And then we make the fatal mistake. We stay there. Rather than going out into the world that needs us, rather than getting alongside our non-Christian friends who who so desperately need our light, rather than getting out as salt and light so that we make an impact on the world for Christ, we stay huddled together, shining our lights brighter and brighter for each other. We turn our churches into giant buckets to hide our lights under. We reduce our, our church groups and Christian schools into refuges where we shelter from the real world. We turn our Bible study groups into holy huddles and make sure we only have good, safe Christian friends at any social activity we join in. The two results of all this ecclesiastical underbucket light shining <laughs> is that one, there's lots of light inside the bucket where it's not really needed, and two, There's no light getting out where it is needed. Of course, you need to start by joining with your fellow Christians so you are consistently being fed and encouraged at church. And you need other Christians around you so that you don't end up compromising your stand by disobeying Jesus and turning down the dimmer switch on your light. But Jesus wants you to be a genuine disciple. He has designed you to make an impact on this world. He has designed you to be the salt of the earth so you can be a difference. You can have a dramatic impact on anyone you meet. He has designed you to be the light of the world so that you can go out in a world of darkness and overcome it 
for eternity. So what are the results of shining our light out there? Well, Jesus spells out his action plan for us in these verses. He says, let your light shine before men. See, Christianity is not meant to be a secret society. Christians aren't meant to be so mysterious that we, we hide everything we do as, and sneak around like undercover cops. I mean, look at the words that Jesus uses to encourage us to shine our light where it's needed. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. He says, you put it on a stand so it gives light to the whole house. He says, let your light shine before men. If Jesus has made a difference to you, let the world know. And the reason Jesus wants us to shine our light before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus doesn't want us to hide the good we do. He wants us to be plain and obvious to everyone. He doesn't want us continually hiding back at the safety of church. He wants us out there making a difference. And what's going to happen when we do that? That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven we want to bring people to god we don't want people to praise us we want them to praise god it's for god's glory not our own you know we exist to bring glory to god and as we shine our light and be salt to bring the hope of the gospel the way that people will know that jesus has power to change their life is when they see his power is already changing our lives So what have we learned over these last two weeks? God's measure of success is bigger than ours. It's feeling good because we are accomplishing something good. And the greatest good we can do is make a difference in our world for Jesus. That's the foundation for a successful Christian life. To bring glory to God as we actively bring the hope of the gospel as reproducing disciples by being salt and light. The world needs your salt. The world needs your light. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words that you have given us from Matthew chapter 5, where your encouragement and your instruction is so clear to us. Lord, may we take hold of your teaching today and may we not hide our light under a bucket may we not lose our saltiness but lord would we fulfill the calling you've placed on each one of our lives to make a difference we have asked for your empowerment of the holy spirit and that you would continue to encourage us as we do we pray this in the name of jesus Amen.